Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. y'all this is Alon. you are back for another week of a whole mood we still on our self-care kick and this episode is gonna be about if you vaxxed or if you not vaxxed this week's guest they and i have met i want to say the first time we met we never really met when i was in college but i mm-hmm. met them when we were at like a mutual friends birthday gathering in dc and we spent like the whole entire weekend and yes. everything so that was like a really really good bonding moment with him i mean with them i just want to introduce to you guys james Hi, James. How are you? Hello. What's going on, everybody? I'm feeling good. James is a scientist. And when I say y'all the dopest scientist, y'all should follow him. He gives you all the factuals and actuals of this whole COVID-19 or any relation to. So that's the reason why I have him here today, because what we're going to do, we're going to do like a Mythbusters thing, because I'm going to tell you right now, James, I'm so split in the middle. So I'm going to play a little devil's advocate because I'm going to be honest. The reason why I got the vaccine, because I was like, Alon, you need a job. And these jobs be asking you on interviews (laughs) if you vaccinated or not. I'd be damned if I get refusal just because I'm not vaccinated. So that's the only reason. Because otherwise, secret, y'all, Alon don't do shots. Alon don't do shots. Listen, I know a lot of people who do not like it. Mm-mm. Yes, I don't like shots. I pass out with any form of needle or oh, any no. penetration whatsoever. No, well, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot with you. I love it. Yes. But first, when did you declare yourself as non-binary? Because I don't remember yeah. that being a thing. No, yeah. It definitely was kind of like a transformative experience for me. So I want to say I right. started kind of like my questioning in like 2017. I don't know, just like living life and just kind of like being really reflective about who I am and how I am in the space and really mm-hmm. just kind of trying to get a, a real understanding of who I am. And I think once I was kind of doing like that personal process and personal stuff and, you know, just kind of dealing with the self-esteem issues and body mm. image issues and things that I had, I just kind of kind of came to that conclusion. Like, I guess manhood itself, like it just wasn't affirming for me. Like what I'm thinking about in the past, like I just don't think that living in a space where I was considered like a man was something that really gave an accurate approximation of like who I am in this human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I want to say when I really got to know you was when I first, first moved up here to New York. Right. You were one of the people that really you know, took the time to hang out with me in Brooklyn. Um, you Yes, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were the first person, yeah. yeah, in my whole New York experience. But I do you find that me. to be a very monumental thing. So explain to me the journey questioning, like, I'm not male anymore. Like, this is who I am. Honestly, I'm still on this journey right now. Sometimes I feel like how we live life, sometimes we're kind of on autopilot. And, like, Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't necessarily, like, know, like, where we are in this journey of, like, life. Mm. And, again, I think Mm. around 2017, that's why I kind of was doing those self-reflections and just kind of, like, thinking. I was just like, yeah, like, no. I went to therapy. I've had, like, a huge emotional emotional support of, um, you know, trans, uh, Black, queer, and trans, non-binary people who was just kind of, you know, giving me their experience, too. And so, I again, I just needed to find that support system and, like, really get 
a, a huge understanding of like where do I place in this life right now. And like I said, now I've, I've made a decision where I, I did identify as not binary, so I use they them pronouns. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out as far as like what's the next step is going to be. And honestly, and right. I feel like that's not this with just I think it just in gender in general or just you know my perspective. I just don't have I don't think you have the fixed way of expressing your gender. I think it like consistently right. evolves. And I think especially when we're having these conversations around, like, LGBTQ plus issues, I think people are kind of getting a somewhat of an understanding of, like, yeah, you don't have to put yourself in a box. And also, too, that people exist in this life that doesn't want to be in a box. And speaking of that box, I would mm-hmm. say as cisgendered anything, whether if you're gay, straight, or whatever... I'm sure that's a hard box to be in if there is a box because you're coming from the straight world and then also the gay world on like, how do I address you? Because I identify as a cisgendered person. You know what I'm saying? On both Mm -hmm. sides. So tell me, what is that like? Dealing with the frustrations on being misidentified. (sighs) It is frustrating, like... (laughs) Not only does it happen in my personal life, but it also happens in my professional life as well. Of course. I actually recently had a conversation with people in the graduate school to kind of address kind of some of the cultural competencies that kind of needs to be instilled. Because again, I'm pretty sure like they probably haven't dealt with anybody who was like trans or non-binary. It's kind of weird. It's kind of like coming out again. You know what I'm saying? And like kind of like dealing with some of those responses. Of course, you know, some of them were good. Some of them were bad. You know, regardless of the fact, you know, you were just true to who you are. And, you know, with that, like, nobody could take that away from you. Of course, you know, correcting folks and actually directly communicating with them. Like, hey, like, you know, just by the way, these are not my pronouns. You know, is they them? You know, this, that, and the fourth. And then when people actually have questions about um, just transness and just, like, being non-binary, like, I just want to just let them know, like, this is, like, my personal experience. And sometimes, like, how the way I feel or, how, or ways that I want to be affirmed is not necessarily, like, representative of like all of the you know non-binary correct yeah and i and that's why i find it so complicated because some people they can appear as cisgender and i mean you appear as cisgender male so it's easy to make that mistake and then there are some people who you don't even know what their gender is they could look very much masculine or feminine they're very androgynous shall i say and so exactly right what i'm saying it's hard to identify i really just be trying to call people by their name because i mean even with the pronouns like i mess up a lot I yeah, a lot, especially if I previously exactly. known you as James he him, you know. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like it's it's definitely a learning process. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say though, like I said, I get frustrated, but overall, I feel hopeful. I'm really grateful of like the generative conversations that people are having around transness and uh, non-binary people. Yeah. Absolutely. And I I think people are more emotionally aware, they're spiritually aware, and they're open. I do think, you know, on each side, you always have like the ignorant people. And I always tell people or give them like a dust off response, like, just call them by the name they want to be called. If you want to completely just miss the pronouns, just call them by their name. Pretty much. I just know it cannot be that hard. But (laughs) I know, I understand, like I said, some people do. So, you know, again, just holding space for people's humanness. But not their bigotry, though, because, you know, of course, I'll cuss them out, but... (laughs) Uh, And and James goes there. I will tell you. (laughs) Yeah, you already know. What's up? Okay, so, y'all, James is a genius, okay? Y'all know y'all met uh, Justin JT in earlier episodes. 
JT always refers to James as like James is gonna be something. That's that's what JT oh, says all the time. I love it. And so yeah. shout out to these this is shout out to JT. How yes. you doing, JT? We're gonna talk about vaccinated. Whether if you should get vaccinated, whether you shouldn't get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. James has all the answers tonight. He's a professional. He's a scientist. He's in the middle of all of what has been happening throughout this entire pandemic. And so first, James, I want to ask, what are your personal thoughts towards the vaccine? So, of course, I'm a huge proponent of folks getting a vaccine, right? Of course, okay. the major benefit to that is, of course, decreasing my risk of getting a severe case. If I do get sick, also just significantly reducing the risk of, like, people spreading it. I think my frustrations around that was just that I felt that the pandemic and the virus itself and just the vaccines has become like more so a political debate. I think as you're seeing right now, there's been a lot of misinformation happening. And I think what that does is it drowns out the people who are making actual efforts to provide the community with, you know, accurate information. And it's just so frustrating too, because even the people who do have the influential power or who's like actually getting attention, these are people who've never like picked up a pipe in their life, you know, has never like read any <laughs> review article. You know what I'm saying? And it's like people are like listening yeah. to them versus, you know, people who I, I actually have like, for, for example, like myself, I've been involved in the science for about 10 years now, even throughout my uh, training as a scientist, you know, other part of my goal is to make sure the community is well aware of like what's going on in the scientific community. If you did not get the vaccine, please get it. Well, here's my thing about it. My thoughts about the vaccine. Of course, I'm vaccinated. Okay. Okay. But here's my thing. I feel like it's a fear-mongering tactic for us to get vaccinated. Mm. And I'm mm. in a bit of a situation just in, in terms of like accepting it and whatever. And I know it doesn't matter at this point. Here's my thoughts. Us non-scientific people, right? Science isn't our life. We literally have to trust and revert to y'all's understanding or y'all's mm. knowledge and believe that, you know, whatever y'all telling us, like, we just have to firmly 100% believe it. And that's the scary part for me. Because it's like a lot of other things when it comes to politics, when it comes to things that we could easily research and gather some comprehension or understanding about it, we could do that on our own right. Whereas science is like, we really have to be educated to understand what's going on. And that's the scary part. That's really, really true. When I think about the conversations around like vaccine hesit hesitancy, I always think of it as more from like a systemic and institutional perspective, especially vulnerable populations. There has been like constant history and patterns of like having lack of education towards like, you know, scientific issues that are like really important. Like the prime example, like thinking about epidemics and like how viruses work, how do they transmit? And even like some of the policies and strategies that are you know, supposed to be in place to protect this. It's really not. I think the government just hasn't addressed their woes. And that's even a bit of a clusterfuck because yep. first it was like CDC was telling, don't rush out to go get masks. And then all of a sudden we have to have masks to even go into a Target. So yeah. it's like, it's always like a mixed narrative because they're trying to figure it out at the same time. And, and that's understandable, but it's kind of like, what are we supposed to believe? Because of science, we don't know what's happening. And again, it's one of those, we have to 100% trust something that we're not sure that you know the answers. Get what I'm saying? And so it makes it That's really, true. really hard fully adopt the whole vaccine thing. And again, you guys, I don't want to create doubt. I just really want to have transparent dialogue about this and 
really make sure we have all the factual details because there's so many things when it comes to celebrities and their hypotheses and all of these crazy people creating conspiracy theories. We really want to nail down the actual facts. And James is definitely the person to do so. So yes, why get the vaccine if you are still susceptible to contracting the virus? Yeah, so mainly it's three things. So the first one is that it will reduce your risk in getting uh, moderate to severe cases of COVID. And so, of course, that's really important because um, if you happen to get sick, you know, more than likely you have to go to the hospital and like you get a ventilator, which is, of course, now in this current climate is actually very limited. What's important to mention in this conversation is that viruses mutate. The rate at which these viruses are mutating, natural immunity itself is not going to fight off against new variants. Because if you think about it, like the natural immunity um, that you develop from recovering from COVID, that was from like previous variants at that particular point in time. New variants are, are emerging. So... You know, getting boosters and getting the vaccines that will actually, you know, help kind of like eliminate that um, issue. I think the last piece is more so of a public health standpoint. Now that we're understanding about COVID, COVID is actually um, transmitting at a very high rate. And so, of course, getting the vaccine as a like public health perspective, we can collectively reduce the overall cases of transmission. And of course, you know, the particular domino effect that will have. So less cases, you will have like lower people at hospitals. I'm pretty sure like people who are impacted with COVID, like that would, you know, significantly decrease their medical costs, their personal costs. Of course, the overall cost of like medical supplies and tools, considering that we're like literally in a pandemic is going to require like communities and literally huge populations of people to like uh, synergistic effort and making sure like that we're keeping ourselves safe and not allowing the virus to transmit. Give ourselves care when we need it. How easy do you feel like that is happening? I, I, I do feel like there's been a lapse of people traveling. However, there's still like a great bulk of people traveling. Yes. But here's... Here's my thing. I don't feel like there's as many people traveling as it was due to them cutting off unemployment. I feel like that's probably like a big factor into why people aren't traveling as much. Actually, no, I, I agree with that 100%. I know from for me, from my personal experience, I think I had traveled, I want to say once or twice. I will say within a yeah. couple of years. Yeah, it's... I would say most of the airports are like, yeah, it has a very significant low attendance at this point. Right. And the fares are pretty cheap because I had to book my <laughs> one-way flight and it was $70. I was like, lit. 70, wait, $70? Wow. But yes, also, here's another thing where I feel like in the beginning, I would say that, you know, the cases were spiking. I'm not sure. Maybe they're plateauing right now, but you don't hear it as often. So why is that? Yeah, You know what? I still have been trying to like figure out that question. To me, again, this is not, I guess, me being like a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. It's just there right. are like certain political issues that are going to be like that's going to require like much more public attention than not. And I think, of course, when it comes to media, there's a lot of information like kind of being sensationalized. I think collectively the United States, I guess itself, are just kind of like, well, whatever, you know, they're just like, okay, well, yeah, you know, it's this like happened. an everyday thing now. They adopt it like, to the whole entire lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. You know, of course, you know, it costs like huge public attention because, you know, like there were increasing cases of like death and, you know, again, like people were getting sick, like the the hospitals, um, the number of people in the hospitals were like skyrocketing. So it's kind of like that whole like political theatrical piece is like, okay, like, you know, this is something to like, I guess, get the quote unquote mass attention and like get folks rattled up. 
<laughs> for me, from a scientist perspective, I'm like, hell no. Like, people need to be informed, like, every single day about what's going on, whether if it's, like, the small things, whether if it's the larger things. Because not only is COVID, like, a, you know, public health issue, but it's also an economic issue, too. Like, how is this going to impact the environment? How is this going to impact our income? How is this going to impact our families, our children? This is actually really serious. And I feel like, of course, again, if we think about like disproportionate populations, this is a matter of life and death. You know, of course, outside of my science, I do a lot of organizing. Like those are my people, the working class folks, the poor folks, people who are in the hood. Those are my people. So I'm going to like try to make, you know, whatever effort and try to like uplift whatever demands that the community needs in order to make sure like they're uh, cared for or issues or problems. I'm going to make sure I'm going to provide like them with some ac- accurate information. Absolutely. And speaking of that, I just want to go ahead and jump into, you know, the reluctance of people of color and science and resulting to black refusal of the vaccine. Now, Mm -hmm. I could say for the most part on my side of the family, I haven't had anyone 100% skeptic. and, And I'm not skeptic. I was more so like, I don't like shots. That's where I was at with it. I, I didn't really give Listen. a damn. And then when I ended up getting it, it really wasn't that bad, y'all. Like, I mean, it hurts your arm, but it's really not that bad. Yeah. That wasn't my experience. And I'm a I'm a Pfizer princess. So, um... <laughs> Me too! I'm a Pfizer queen. Right. What's up? <laughs> up? Yes. But when you think of, like, the history of Black people in science, you think of Henrietta mm-hmm. Lacks, you think of the Herpes yes. Project in Tuskegee, you think of so many things where Black people were so disenfranchised and being treated as test dummies, or they were mm-hmm. their sales were monetized, or yes. they were, you know, and so... Yes. I can understand the distrust. However, is it a distrust that it that could be a hindrance to our prosperity because, you know, we yes. die from this disease instead of getting covered, you know? I agree with that 100%. And that's and I think that's just kind of like one of the like disadvantages I think of being black in America. It's just the idea, like, you have to participate in systems that you need, but of course, like, you hesitate with it because, like, historically, and even currently now, like, one will argue that they consistently harm not only yourself, but your communities as well. One thing I actually want to bring up, so her name is Harriet Washington. She made this book called Medical Apartheid, and it's essentially kind of, like, accounts for different stories around, like, medical experimentation of Black Americans in the United States. She definitely accounts, of course, some of the examples as it relates to slavery, like you, like you mentioned, some of the studies around the, uh, the Skiggy syphilis study. But she also mentions, like, um, how this is also not just a U.S. issue, it's also a global issue. And she also accounts for, like, different um, instances where, I guess, when it came to like scientific advances, they used vulnerable populations, right? This was outside of just mm-hmm. a racial thing. It was elderly people, there were soldiers, were prisoners, uh, men- mentally disabled folks, and orphans, right? From all races and creeds. A lot of the white scientists that were out there were really performing like a term was called like non consensual, non therapeutic experimentation, which essentially means obviously the people who were uh, participants of this quote unquote study didn't know. Even like some of the contributing roles that white scientists had, well, like for A, like the entire inception of the American medical, they would just literally experiment on people when it provided like no health, potential health benefit. Those subjects were going through a lot of turmoil and just a lot of pain and harm. All of that wasn't necessarily as a means to find the better, you know, the betterment of like health and just modern medicine in general. They were just doing it just to do it. Yeah, because even The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, I read the book and I forgot where they were from, Ohio, something like that. 
or St. Mm-hmm. Louis. I'm not I'm not sure whether where wherever they were from, it was like a local hospital that they were near. Yeah. And there were stories that they grew up where they would abduct people and black people within the, the community and they would use them. And if the person would die, you know, they just felt like well, their family won't miss them or they would be Mm. deemed already dead by the police or whatever and no one would care. Mm. Because a long history of people being abducted by these hospitals due to these tests. Um, Scientific racism is real. Yeah. We're still still dealing with it now. Healthcare too. Healthcare too, yeah. And I think, again, that's why I hold space for people in the community who are like, who actually have the knowledge and like understanding like, how what contributing role did like the american medical establishment have in our communities some of the things i kind of challenge is that i guess when it comes to the frustration like let's make sure like that we're in alignment to like what the actual like problem is you know it's not it's not the actual science it's not the scientists we're not here to to depopulate the planet like we're not here to like cause like superhuman effects and stuff like that like we're like you know literally there to make sure like that everyone can like live like a their full authentic selves you know yes. and of course we do it through, we do it, we do it through science but of course right. now the the systems and institutions now that's Ooh. where that's a whole nother conversation and to me i okay. think that's where I po- that's why i point the frustration at because if you think about mm. it like that's why we have to have conversations around like capitalism and how that plays a contributing role in like how do we receive care and medical care it does not make sense that going to a hospital like they charge you like up to like ten thousand dollars as far as like medical costs but then then you're talking about creating a quote-unquote life of saving vaccine that's for free it's a lot of disconnect in terms of like again like how like how are you providing access to people and how's money involved it's com- so complex to the point like you know it can like really you can just like literally spiral into like you know nothingness but yeah. Again, we need to have we need to have those conversations around like policies. We need to have conversations around like these politicians. Like, what are you doing to make to ensure like our communities are safe? Can you ask? Can you provide us with quality health care? Can you actually give us like actual dignified forms of ed- education? Like, can you do that without shame? It's the classist thing. Everybody it, it, is always exactly. different tiers of these things. You know, they just try to create classes out of everything. And yeah, and we need to we need to deconstruct that like as soon as possible. You also have some level of controversy with nurses and teachers refusing to get these vaccines, and specifically no <laughs> nurses and doctors. Yeah, and yes. they're losing their jobs because of their refusal to get the vaccine and. I think on the outside, again, us non-scientific people, we look at that as like, these are the people that's dealing with this on a day-to-day. These are the people in the ICU. These are the people that's drawing your blood. These are the people that's giving you the shots. And if Mm -hmm. they're refusing it, obviously they know something that we don't know. So then it creates this underlying fear, you know? And Mm -hmm. I have a lot of people very close to me who refuse to get this vaccine and they lost their job due to it. Mm. So I don't even know how to explain or if there's any um, insight you could give us on why would a nurse or a doctor refuse the vaccine? I kind of have like two minds to this, right? I'm going to just go to the end top piece first. But I think mm-hmm. with the end piece is they're working with vulnerable populations. And I, I'm not sure like when they make those decisions, like are they kind of understanding like the ramifications of like how that can um, impact folks, right? I, I think about economics, right? So I think about if a lot of folks can't afford medical costs and other like personal costs if they get sick. To me, I just think it's like different um, scenarios and circumstances where 
I feel like it just needs to be like fully fleshed out. Again, I guess the piece of understanding people's refusal, it goes back to the institutional and systemic perspective. We live in a system where essentially punitive methods are like the only possible solutions, right? So instead of like providing alternatives, teachers and nurses have been saying like, for one, like, let me actually get a break. Let me actually get a dignified wage, specifically with teachers. Like, well, let me do virtual teaching. Let me actually um, have a livable wage so I can be able to like, you know, take care of myself and take care of my families. Like for me, I argue that's a potential um, preventative health measure, right? And so the fact that that wasn't addressed, this is kind of a slap in our face. Like, okay, so you're not going to uh, take care of my needs or like my family, but the only solution that I have in order to protect myself is either get vaccinated or leave. People are losing their income. That can actually increase somebody's right. like housing to be um, unstable. You know, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And I feel like, again, people are thinking of it more as like a, a, be, a simple, like behavioral thing. And again, we need to address it in a more like, be more in depth with talking about like the psychological piece of it, the cultural, racial, and systemic aspect of like hesitancy. I think once we kind of have that dialogue and that discourse in a more in depth way, then of course, you know, we can find ways to get people to be less hesitant, providing alternative solutions instead of just saying, get it or, or die. Like that in itself, it just prevents, again, to dream or even like think of other ways that we can like take care of ourselves. So is the vaccine safe for everyone and anyone with an underlying disease? So according to the research, I've done the research specifically for like, I'll say the Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson. The studies has been saying like, yeah, the vaccine is safe for those who have um, underlying disease. I definitely don't want to like present this maybe like as a recommendation because I don't want my place to be that. It's just, I just want to present y'all like what the actual like scientific what evidence the... is. And that's exactly what the um, evidence is, is suggesting. If you even are considering getting a vaccine, of course, the first thing you should do is talk to your healthcare provider. You probably touched on this earlier when you were saying that, you know, viruses, they form different variants. So with this question, Mm -hmm. can COVID be eradicated or should we just learn to live with COVID? Given the current systems that we're in now, and I think, I guess the government is addressing it, my thought is yes. Like, we literally need to have a complete overhaul in, like, how we go about in society, like, how the way we um, basically literally, like, recreate institutions and things like that because like i said the only way we're going to do is that we actually find solutions that actually care for people that's not Mm -hmm. worried about profit or anything like that and unfortunately we live in a a capitalist society where again our needs are not met and of course profit is met more i think it's more regional because you have more of the metropolitan places where you can have like a hundred percent rate of people who are vaccinated right and then you can go to places like Texas and Alabama where they don't want to wear masks and they damn sure don't want to get vaccinated. So it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to kind of get a whole nation on one accord when it comes to getting this virus out. And I would have to say another strange thing about this virus, it just seemed like we were living in a time where they wasn't sure if it was like in thin air. We couldn't even go outside without a mask. Yeah. I, like you just don't know. And yeah. and it's so crazy because then all of the Black Lives Matter, the George Floyd and all of it, and we didn't hear about it no more for a yeah. while. When all of those riots, like we weren't hearing about COVID or nothing like that. We weren't hearing about exactly. cases spiking up. So it made it very like a funny and particularly condescending type of subject because how is it that all of a sudden it's like all of these cases flying left and right, but then you have like these mass gatherings of people 
mm-hmm. then you you don't hear about cases anymore. I don't even know what how do, how does that connect? Honestly, I'm still trying to <laughs> I'm still trying to answer some of these questions myself. Yeah, it's I, and, and again, like I said, I understand like it, it's hard and some and sometimes like that can raise a lot of confusion. Right. Around like, you know, like how like how should we handle the problem? How should we not? But one thing I will say is that one thing we have to understand about science is that it's it's never like fixed knowledge. The knowledge is like all it's always gonna be dynamic and like, you know, throughout the and also we have to understand like given the severity of um this disease, it's been like a huge overhaul of like people trying to get more information. And of course, you know, with, with more information of course, you know, some of the assumptions or hypotheses that we've made had, we tested it out and we found out that that wasn't the case. And so, you know, of course, now I think of, as far as like updating the community, I feel like, of course, in the language, like that's, of course, like that and the stuff still is a limitation that we still like need to address. So let's go ahead and do some myth busters. So first All right, myth, yes. HIV virus found in second shot. I've heard that somewhere. Are you serious? Like when you when you when you showed me that, I was like, okay. <laughs> so no, somebody literally told me that. What? No, I, it was a video. I could give you the video, but literally there was a video serious? saying that the HIV virus is in the second shot. The answer to that, like, no. But so specifically, the Moderna and Pfizer um, is actually not even a virus at all. It's um, a technology what we know as mRNA, so messenger. Uh, ribonucleic acid and it's essentially um the point of mrna it's like a biological molecule that provides instructions on like telling the cell machinery on what particular protein to produce right and with this particular vaccine is it wants to uh, provide instruction to encode um the virus protein that allows it that allows the you know the virus to enter into cells and so of course that technology and the stuff is isn't a virus. Now, the older school versions of like of vaccines, they have used what's called a viral vector, which essentially mm-hmm. means viruses are like delivery vehicles of exchanging genetic material. So scientists have kind of understood that and found a way to work it to our benefit through vaccines, right? So the virus is actually extremely harmless. It doesn't even replicate within your cells. Only thing it does, it delivers the active ingredient of whatever vaccine um, of interest. So in this case, the um, spike protein. So this may be a little off topic, but since we're on the topic, how? what are your thoughts about the Moderna and the HIV potential vaccine? Yeah, I'm kind of excited to what the science is going to tell us, but my understanding of viruses, right? Specifically HIV. HIV has right. an affinity towards activated immune cells. Like one of the mechanisms of like vaccination and like developing immunity is to activate an immune response. Considering like just the actual nature of HIV, my scientific opinion is that it actually will cause more harm than I think it will good. Mm. But of course, you know, we definitely need the science to kind of give us um, a better understanding of like how that's the case. You know, we again, we have PrEP, but I think we're going to have like other forms of ways to preventing HIV from being transmitted from one person to another. Mm. I don't think we know enough about immunology and like how HIV causes infection. I don't think we know that enough to, again, I think that's the beauty of science. You know, people want to try stuff out. Yeah, I'm kind of on the negative end on that. I'm not going to lie. Okay. It goes through mm-hmm. like a very long process, like long phases. Like there's a preliminary phase where they will test it in different cells and animals. And then once they kind of understand like how the drug works or like whatever, whatever thing that you're making, that's when it then goes into like human clinical trials. And then that of course is like three phases. And then after that, they can then apply for an application to the, uh, to the food and drug administration, FDA. Once they do that, then, you know, people can be, um, of course that particular drug or vaccine can be authorized. 
But this, you know, in this one, in this particular case, is actually a lot different because, again, like we're in like a more of an emergency state. That particular like process is not necessarily that's not the case no more. All of it is kind of happening in tandem, and this is going to be a lot more years to like figure out if it's actually viable. Third MythBuster is the vaccine capable of killing people with multiple sclerosis, MS, diabetes, cancer, etc. And if so, how can this be prevented? Again, to my knowledge, and this is specifically the the vaccine, you know, the mRNA vaccine, hasn't been that much studies that even remotely suggested that. That doesn't negate the fact that yeah, that vaccines do have side effects. And it's also too right. important that those who, who have like existing underlying conditions to like go to the doctor and make sure that you get, you know, you get tested to see whether if it's safe for you. Because essentially um, what I said before, the purpose of vaccines is to educate your immune system on like what to fight off. Right. And so sometimes when we're dealing with different conditions like diabetes and cancer, sometimes it can actually dysregulate or disrupt your immune system. And also, too, we have, we have to understand that's also on an individual basis, and not everyone's like immune system is going to be the same. From the studies that I've seen, I went to the like the Moderna and Pfizer website. I've also looked at a database called PubMed and scientific journals, and I have not seen any, as I've known as of now, that shows that the vaccine cannot kill people with these particular uh, underlying conditions. Okay. So thoughts on the whole Nicki Minaj commentary that's been hitting Listen, the news now... all over the internet. Like, yes, I even find that, that her commentary was absolutely ridiculous and there was absolute <laughs> zero basis on what she was saying <laughs> regarding like enlarged testicles and skin rashes, etc. So as a scientist, what is your take on her commentary? It was kind of going back to my uh, previous comment where I was saying, we have the girls who be in public spaces, right? <laughs> have not touched a pipette a day in their life, have not Period. literally read a review article, and just like giving um, scientific information. I'm just like, what is going on? But of course, of course it's wrong. Like, I'm just like flat out. I'm not going to even... Right. I'm not gonna even. I feel like I shouldn't dignify like an answer with saying something. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I love Nicki Minaj. Don't get me wrong, because I'm. I will admit, I, I am a bar. I, I will admit. You are. Why did I love her? <laughs> um, but she's a but, but you know, of course, she, uh, but also, you know, I understand like she's been like extremely problematic. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm a person Lately. like that's not like biased. I think her comments was obviously was um Disruptive. categorically incorrect, scientifically mm-hmm. incorrect, mechanistically incorrect. I just think it's important too that we understand that um, celebrities are not going to get us free. They're not going to uh, provide care for us. If we really want to real, like real accurate ways of information, yeah, just we have to talk to a, a qualified or a trusted source. I guess my last thing I want to say too, because this goes, I think, way beyond the whole COVID conversation. There's also a lot of celebrities who've been having a lot of political takes Influence. on like certain right. issues too. And I think, mm-hmm. and of course, I just think that in itself, when it comes to celebrity and topics, I think we yeah, we have to understand that our expectations have to be extremely low. And this is zero shade when we think about like like how accurate is this information right um, yeah i feel like they could be sometimes the conduit of certain conspiracies when they kind of overshadow their influence over facts that have been fed to us but i also feel like it feeds into that same narrative of like we don't know what to believe because cdc mm-hmm. and all of these people they're literally trying to figure it out just like we are and it's like for us to 100 percent believe them is kind of unrealistic yeah I come from like a perspective of, I don't think that again, that literally a hundred percent of everybody is going to get vaccinated. Uh, Also, this may be an unpopular opinion, but when it comes to like, particularly anti-vaxxers, because I think there's a difference between those who are hesitant with taking the vaccine and anti-vaxxers. Like I'm, 
I'm not fucking with y'all. Like y'all not community. That has become a whole identity within itself. You Why is be, that an identity? I don't understand. Non-binary, non-binary, anti-vaxxer, vaxxer. <laughs> no, but yeah. No, but you're right. For real. No, but seriously, like, yeah, the idea sometimes, like, yeah, science has become a political and like identity type of thing. Right. And 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 and, and that's the thing. Of course, if we think about the even think about the roots of like the anti-vax movement, it all stems from white ring, white supremacist shit. With those people, like, okay, I already know. I, I can't do nothing with them. But like I said, but for the particular vulnerable populations who, who isn't as educated on like what's going on and like the current fields of science, like medicine and like infectious disease evidence, all that kind of things. Those are the people who like I, I try to talk to. I just feel like everybody's not going to going to totally say, OK, this is a solution. Like, let's go. I, just, I think we can definitely make a, a shift, but it, it definitely shouldn't be like, you know, again, like everybody should get this. And if you do it again, like it being binary, if you do it, then um, of course, like you find like you literally like you get to survive if you don't. I'm taking your money away from you, even though money's attached to like your living, how you eat, how you drive. I say all that to say things just just need to change. We really do have to address a lot of these like systemic and institutional issues. That is for sure. But no, thank you so much, James, for stepping on and sharing your knowledge you. and your research and your experience. We really appreciate you. Would you like to promote? I don't have anything to promote. Yes, you um, do. James always does his COVID-19 little update. Oh, you know what? That's right. Scientists. No, that's right. That's friends right. Gotta that's help that's friends. Right. Yes, you know, you can go to my Instagram um at uh Black Queer Scientist, B-L-A-C-K-Q-U-E-E-R-S-C-I-E-N-T-I-S-T. I had to think about how to spell scientist for a moment, but I think that's I got okay. it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, follow me, follow me on Instagram. Yeah, like I said, I've been making weekly posts around Miss Rona and her shenanigans, you know what I'm saying? And I'm definitely going to give you the scientific tea, as always. And always. Again, Alon, thank you so much for um, giving me this platform. Like, I'm really Absolutely. I don't realize, just in my own self, I guess the outsourced network that I have, like, I have friend scientists. I have friend nail business women. Yes. I, you don't realize yes. these things and like the people that you meet along the way. So I feel like this platform is such a beautiful way for me to interact in all walks of life. I just feel so blessed to be able to do this. Um, so shout out to Mino yes. Lion Media. <laughs> yes, also, come through. Just Mino Lion Media now is an app. So if you want to listen to any station affiliated with Mino Lion Media, please go to your app store and download. You can also follow us on Instagram at a whole mood podcast. And Period. you can like, subscribe, share, rate. This is Alon. That's James. A whole mood. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter.